Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text for today from the Holy Gospel, these words of the Lord Jesus. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it unto you, dear friends in Christ. The English language can be so confusing, especially when you have in it words that are spelled alike, but they mean so much differently from each other. For example, the farm was used to produce produce, or the dump was so full that they had to refuse more refuse, or when shot at, the dove dove into the bushes. Words that are spelled alike, but are pronounced differently and understood differently. And then there are those words like that of our sermon title for today. Words that share the same root words as others, but mean something significantly different. For example, the root word for executor is execute, but an executioner also executes. And I'd surely rather be at the receiving end of the executor than I would at the receiving end of the executioner, and I'm sure you would be too. An executioner has an instrument of death in his hands, a, a rope, or a sword, or an axe, or a switch. On the other hand, an executor has a legal document in his hand, a last will and testament that enhances the life of the beneficiary. And we, of course, would be most eternally grateful that the Holy Spirit is spoken of as the latter for us, as an executor, rather than as the former. That's what Jesus, in essence, says that the Holy Spirit is for us in our text for today. He is the executor of all that the Lord Jesus has purchased for you, that he has won for you with his own blood that he has earned for you and is to give to you. The Holy Spirit is the one who is the executor of all of that. He's the one who declares anangelo in the Greek to officially proclaim. It sort of has a legal sense to it. He officially proclaims it to you. He is going to declare it unto you. You sort of have that sense of judicial proclamation, of judicial declaration that's being made as the Holy Spirit carries out his divine responsibilities. And as the divine executor, what are the responsibilities of the Holy Spirit? Well, they're really no different, if you think of it, than that of an executor of any will or last testament would be. If you look at most legal documents, you would find that the duties of the executor are two, primarily. The first is to preserve and to protect the property with which he's been entrusted, and secondly, then, to dispense that property when all the debts have been paid, to dispense that properly, that property and to transfer it to the people for whom it was intended, to the entitled heirs, those to whom the estate is to be given. Note it well. The Holy Spirit is the executor of all that Christ has won for us and gives to us. God has not entrusted the disposition and the distribution of all that belongs to him to our human devices and our human programs, and our human techniques, and thank God that he hasn't. He knows us too well, and he loves us sinners too much to allow us sinners to take charge 
of eternal things. Were it left to us, we surely would have ruined it and destroyed it all long ago. Luther knew that to be the case. And that's why in what's called his sacristy prayer, before he would enter into the pulpit in Wittenberg at the St. Marian Kirche, he would so often pray this prayer, Lord, thou hast made me a pastor and a teacher in the church, and thou dost know how unfit I am to administer rightly this great and this responsible office. And had I been without thy aid and counsel, I would have ruined it all long ago. And then he goes on to ask for God's grace and for God's guidance, ending with these words, Use me, O Lord, as an instrument of thy service. Only do not thou forsake me, for if left to myself, I most certainly would bring it all to ruin. Luther knew, and that's what made him the great reformer that he is. Luther knew that the maintaining and the sustaining of the church did not rest with him or any other mortal. He knew that the maintainer and the sustainer of the church has always been and will always be the Holy Spirit. It doesn't rest in the plans or the proposals of men, but rather in the power of the Almighty Spirit of God. And that's evident not only from Luther, but also from the Acts of the Apostles themselves that we read about in the first reading for today, the time and the place, remember, Jerusalem. Not long after the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord, the situation, non-Jews, Gentiles, were believing the word of the crucified and the risen Christ which was preached to them. The problem, their baptism into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit didn't appear to be enough to satisfy a certain party there in Jerusalem among those early Christians called the Circumcision Party. They insisted that Gentiles must also become sons of Abraham by circumcision in addition to their baptism. Were it not for the Holy Spirit, their present protecting that which had been entrusted to him, you can be sure that Peter and John and Thomas and Andrew and James and all the rest of them would have brought it all to ruin. Were it not for the Holy Spirit there who brought that vision that we heard about to Peter, you can be sure that Peter would have caved in to that politically powerful circumcision party in Jerusalem, even as he would later do in Antioch, when St. Paul had to remember, correct him, publicly rebuke him for conceding all too much to the circumcision party. He, Peter, would have done what so many in our day do, what we're all inclined to do, because we think that there's something human that has to be added to that which Christ himself has done, Peter would have caved under the pressure. Were it not for the Holy Spirit, he would have caved under the pressure and conceded that something had to be added to the works of Christ, to the crucifixion and to the resurrection and to our baptism into Christ's death and resurrection. That as good and necessary as it was, it just wasn't enough. Something more had to be done. Some additional human contribution of one sort or the other had to eventually be factored into that salvation equation in order to bring it to its completeness. Before the, the unclean could be declared clean, there had to be some human action that would be done. Some human work, some human contribution. Perhaps some rote 
recitation of prescribed religious phrases that would help to justify us. Or maybe some decision made for Jesus on our part that would catapult us then into the kingdom. Or even the giving of ourselves, our time, our talents, our treasures to this group or to that group in or outside of the church to put us over the top, so to speak, and ensure that our justification is complete. Something that we do to add to and to complete all the wonderful things that Christ has done for us. Something that we might do to make spirits soar higher than simple words from pulpits or words with water at fonts as you saw happen this morning with little Grace Elisa or words with bread and wine on altars as we have before us this morning what they're able to do, something humanly that needs to be added to the divine. And the Spirit of God says, not so, Peter. Absolutely not, Peter. What God has made clean, don't call common. Kono, in the Greek meaning, don't call it profane, over against sacred. Don't call it unclean. You don't call common, Peter what God has declared to be clean. And you don't call common the means by which he makes it clean either. Besides, God has added the human element to the equation already. He added it when he gave his own son. His own son who became man, God of human flesh, subsisting, the perfect God-man, Jesus Christ, who made you clean, not simply by taking your flesh unto himself, but in that flesh taking also your sin unto himself, your, uncle, his uncle, your uncleanness unto himself, becoming your sin for you, suffering for you, dying for you upon the cross. God became the perfect man who then credits his perfection to you so that you are perfect, quote, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. There's nothing absolutely nothing common about all of that. Nothing common about the God-man of our reading from Revelation today who became man to dwell among men and says no more pain, no more suffering, no more death anymore for all of these things will have passed away. Behold, I make all things new, the most extraordinary gift that's ever been given to man. See what Christ has done to make the unclean clean. See what Jesus Christ has done for all of you common. God forbid that we would think such gifts of God to be common, ordinary. These are extraordinary, uncommon gifts. The most extraordinary and uncommon of all. Any wonder that he who with his own blood purchased so much for you at such a great cost now would ensure through his Holy Spirit that what he purchased for you indeed becomes yours through the word and the sacraments that his Holy Spirit causes to work for our good and to his glory. The Holy Spirit, who does not speak on his own authority, Jesus says, but he speaks whatever he hears. The Holy Spirit, whom God the Father then has made the executor of God the Son's last will and testament, which went into effect when he, the testator, died 
The Holy Spirit who is now responsible for the distribution of all that Christ Jesus purchased for you with his own blood. Isn't that what Jesus says in today's gospel? All that the Father has is mine. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, he said, I will take what is mine and I will give it unto you. Christ is, after all, the image the icon of the invisible God, the firstborn, Scripture says, he's the heir of everything that belongs to the Father, of everything that's made. Jesus is the one to whom God the Father has given everything in heaven and on earth, and Jesus bequeaths it all to you. Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit, inherit the kingdom, the kingdom that's been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And you can be sure that the Holy Spirit will do for you what he has been sent by God the Father and by God the Son to do. He will preserve the entirety of your inheritance for you and he will distribute it to you exactly as he promised that he would do. Luther knew that to be true. And that's why he confessed and he taught this to others in these words that so many of you have committed to memory in times past, he wrote, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but the Holy Ghost has called me by the gospel. He has enlightened me with his gifts. He sanctified and kept me in the true faith, even as he calls, enlightens, gathers and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. I do nothing. The Holy Spirit, you see, has done everything. Luther rightly attributes the beginning of your faith, the continuation of your faith, and ultimately the blessed consummation of your faith to the Holy Spirit, the executor of the last will and testament of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, whose work continues still, Luther teaches us, in his large catechism, we're speaking of the third article of the Creed, the article that we've confessed about the Holy Spirit. When he speaks of the Holy Spirit, he says, now, this now is the article which must ever be and remain in operation. Creation is completed. Redemption, the second article, is also finished. But the Holy Ghost carries on his work without ceasing until the last day, and for that purpose, he has appointed a congregation on earth by which he speaks and he does everything. The Holy Spirit, you see, carries on his work. His work as the executor of your inheritance, as the transformer of the life-giving and the life-preserving power of God, which he transforms then and gives to you. Think on it. What does a transformer do? What is that, that big gray cylindrical container on that post out behind your house do that container that's called a single phase transformer on that wooden pole it makes electrical power available to you it receives tens of thousands of volts of electricity into it and then transforms it into lesser amounts that you can use in your house for your dozens of appliances instead of burning your house down and so we have transformers, not transmitters, but transformers that break down 
that electricity into meaningful units of power that can indeed be used by you. The Holy Spirit is the transformer of that inexhaustible power of God, making that life-giving and that life-sustaining power of God available to us through means that he is designed particularly and lovingly for us to use. And so you see, all is well. All is well and everything is in order. In order in the last will and testament of our Lord Jesus Christ, whose executor, the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul says, is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it, unquote. He protects it and he distributes it through the church as he dispenses the creative, redeeming, and sanctifying energy of the living God through the word that is preached, through the water of life that flows over us in baptism, through the bread of life, the very body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which we receive in his holy sacrament, all which keeps us in the faith unto, as we say, life everlasting. And that's why you're here. That's why you're here. Not to give something to him, but to receive from him that which he, through his Holy Spirit, has caused you to receive. You're here to receive what the Spirit of God has promised to give the people of Christ who said. He will take what is mine, and he will declare it. He will give it freely unto you. And he does. Here and now. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.